it's it, it will. But I, th I think the bigger thing is something I and it's an expression I gleaned from one of my long term clients about being kind to your future self. So, you know, what I if it was me talking about it is I've got to think about what is going to make life easier or harder for future David mm -hmm. and kind of embracing that because part of not having these conversations is you don't want to have it because it's uncomfortable. But then what happens when you're dealing with uh, late cancellations or no shows or a balance being run up, then you've just created more work for future David or future James. Because you didn't uh, want to have that uncomfortable. Because you didn't want to have that. And yeah. so it is to a certain extent, it's, you know, the like the proverb eating the frog. If you've got to eat a frog, go on and get it done. Welcome back to the Scaling Therapy Practice. In this episode, we're going to talk about setting up financial boundaries with your clients. Uh, David and I talk a lot about the benefit that these, these boundaries will provide for you and your practice. Uh, one of the big benefits is it's more you're more financially secure when you're collecting your payments. You have a system for auditing. You have a system for making sure the reimbursements are going in and you're having some checks and balances. I once worked with a therapist, and I think I tell the story in the episode, where uh, they knew they were having payment errors with certain insurance companies. And instead of solving those and trying to figure out the, the cause of that and preventing them and getting ahead of it, what this, what this poor man did was he said, well, I'll just work harder. I'll see more clients. And after a couple of years, he realized he had thousands and thousands of dollars of uncollected payments that he's never going to get. And he was running out of time and energy to make the money he wanted. So then he, he reached out to our company to help him with uh, virtual assistant services. But uh, missing those payments can be a financial burden. Another benefit of the policies is not having to work out what you need to do over and over again. There's a lot of angst when you come to an unknown situation and you don't know what you do. So if you have it written down, then you are able to uh, follow your policy and you don't have to churn over, should I do this, shouldn't I do that? Set your policy, write it, and follow it. And that also helps your clients know their limits. There are some people, like probably like me, who would not push the boundaries too far. Uh, you tell me the limit or I assume a limit, I'm not going to take advantage of anything. And then there's other people, their philosophy is totally different. Their philosophy is I'm going to push until they say no. And so you have to figure out where your no is and put it down in paper. Not 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 for everybody, but for some of the people who will push until they hear a no. And then finally, uh, the, the, the no-show policy and some of these other financial policies help with cancellations. Uh, if you're able to charge no-show policy uh, fees, figure out a way that uh, is reasonable and balanced. Um, I think David David talks about how he think they charge like half because you can still get work done during that time for the no-show, no-cancellation, but you're still using that time. It's it's interesting. Time time for a therapist for a set appointment, it's, it's like... Uh, produce at the grocery store you know once once it goes past its due date it's no good and so once your time is gone 
you can't use it for anything. So it's, it's sort of like spoils on the, on the shelf. And so have a policy to mitigate some of those spoilages. It'll serve you much. Uh, it'll serve you in the long run for having those policies in place. All right. Well, uh, let's get on with the show with some of our tips on setting boundaries with clients, especially around financial areas. PsychMaven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Hello, this is James Marland with the Scaling Therapy Practice, and I'm with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hey, James. Hey, James. Hi, glad to see you today. Uh, yeah. This week, we're going to be talking about financial boundaries with clients and some of the policies and procedures to put in place to help with that. I'm uh, very excited to talk about that. But uh, first, we're going to talk about our tool tip or tech of the week. I'm going to go first. Um, this this week I went to uh, the Philadelphia Car Show. My my sister in law gave us some tickets, and they we I went with my son, his girlfriend, and my wife. And uh, I don't you may or may not know this about me, but I'm I I could probably walk through the car show for about an hour and be done. Like I'm not super into cars, but I, I went to do it to be with the family and to be with my son. He's 18 and he, you know, he's going to be moving out soon, eventually. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I, yeah, I was, I was talking about that. I'm like, is he? Isn't he? I don't know. Like, but the, the children years are slowly going away. Mm -hmm. Adult years and transformation is coming and he's becoming a young man. And I'm not going to have too many more of these episodes where I get to go and, you know, hang out. So even an hour and a half car ride and enduring, you know, $15 sub sandwiches and $5 drinks and $42 parking <laughs> and enduring all that, it was worth it. So my tip is take time to do the important things. Uh, mm -hmm. That spending time with family, building those memories, taking those pictures, um, it, it's really important. And we're going to remember that car show for a while. So as you're through going through your scaling business and growing your growing your business and dealing with all the headache of all the business. And Dave and I were just talking about how sometimes I feel so far behind on doing things. And like, I would feel like I always have to go go back to work and work in the evenings and do stuff like that. Just Remember to take time to do the important things of life in life, like uh, relationships and take mm -hmm. time to do that. So that is my tip of the week. So what's your, what's your tip? Um, so for anyone who, who follows things I'm involved with outside of this podcast, 
um, one of, I do a lot of collaborations with a psychotherapist named Bill O'Hanlon, who is, I tell people when I'm explaining Bill to people, some people know like, oh yeah, yeah Bill O'Hanlon. Um, cause he's been around as an innovator and teacher in the psychotherapy space for a very long time at this point. Uh, but for other people who, who aren't familiar, he's, I, I usually begin by saying he's the most famous therapist I know. Uh, uh, Bill, Bill's written and published over 40 books. He was, a uh, a student in the 1970s of, a famous psychiatrist and hypnotherapist Milton Erickson and, and Bill kind of made his early career as a teacher of Erickson's material and Bill's, you know, he was one of the co-founders of the solution oriented approach to psychotherapy to brief psychotherapy. And so he's in textbooks if you study family systems and things like that. And, uh, anyway, I've, I've known Bill now for, uh, about a decade, a little over a decade at this point. And, uh, we've worked together pretty closely. For a number of years, I took over with my CE organization, Psych Maven. I took over management of online courses because Bill's mostly retired at this point, but he likes to stay in it a little bit. And so we kind of have a partnership. And anyway, but that's kind of my life with Bill. But as I said, Bill's written lots of books and he has one on his website for free. So if you go to oh. BillOhanlon.org or BillOhanlon.com, you can go to either. It'll take you to the same place. Uh, at the, on the, you'll find on the home screen, it's at the top left, right-hand corner. There's a opt-in form where you can get a PDF copy of, it's one of his favorite books of himself, of, of, of books that he's written, but it's called the lazy man's guide to success. And it's, it's a pretty short read and it's just sort of bill sharing some things he's uh, gleaned over the years and, and, um, Bill, you know, I think has a, has a history as a, probably a recovered workaholic. Mm. Uh, but I, I love watching his work rhythms now. He's, he's kind of a sprinter when it comes to working. And I just, um, uh, he put out a new course, uh, at the time of recording, we, we just finished launching it, but on trauma, which is, it was a course that he had taught before over 300 times, but he never recorded it. Uh. I really it, it was great training. I attended it live twice over the years and I really pushed. I'm like, Bill, you should do it. Please do it. And he did. But I knew when he was in a sprint, cause I get text messages where he's with questions or updates and he would just kind of focus in and get it done. And now he's down in the Caribbean at the time of recording, uh, not recording the course. Good, good time to be uh, there in, winter months here. When yeah, so, so he has that free book on what was the webpage again? Bill O'Hanlon? BillOhanlon.org or dot dot com. Okay. okay. Or BillOhanlon.com. It, it's the go, but like that's a lazy man's guide to success. Free download on his website. That's a great tip. Um, cool. All right. So, uh, well, let's get into our topic for the week. We're, we're talking about financial boundaries with clients, some policies and procedures to put into place. Um, uh, I, I have, I, I can start with my first one, but David, you probably have more in, in place, but well, first let's, why, let's, let's start with this though. Why have, why have set up boundaries with clients around financial things? What are, what are some good reasons to do this? Help scale. To help scale. That's kind of what we're about in this company. Yeah. It's the, 
there is we've talked about this in previous episodes i think but just there's a general discomfort that a lot of therapists have in conversations about money yes and having good set policies procedures boundaries around these things makes what is a hard conversation for a lot of people a little bit easier and it helps mm. free up hard drive space in your brain to not have to think about this because ultimately you're this is a side thing for what the relationship is supposed to be about now depending on where you're working how you're working you may not have to have a lot of conversations about this you may be in places where billing is you know i i mean whether it's it's handled by non-therapist in a practice which is just happens to some degree i've worked in places like that to i've had friends that have worked in places that their funding structure is the clients don't you know they they're a medicaid or grant mm -hmm. funded organization so there's no direct there are money uh, things but it comes from third-party entities exclusively and so there are no direct conversations with clients necessarily about that beyond you know what's your medicaid information or things like that so um but yeah it frees up space uh, yeah and i i would also think having these policies makes makes the policies the bad guy i guess not the therapist like mm -hmm. this is this is how we handle money we handle it for everybody the mm -hmm. same way and so you don't have to rethink how to handle this sort of issue with you like reinvent the wheel or redo the process every time you have a process that as you said frees up your space so you can focus on therapy and the the main reason people are coming in Mm -hmm. uh, are there people that might take advantage of you? Is that another reason for having a financial sure. bound? Sure. Or you will be disserving yourself. What as do you mean by that? Idea of, 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 uh, yeah. As far as the first part of taking people taking advantage of you, sure. But in any situation, you're going to have that. And there are other people that won't. And right. I, I don't want to to talk about this and that the idea that the clients you're going to have are Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More problematic, but it's it, it will. But I th I think the bigger thing is something I and it's an expression I gleaned from one of my long term clients about being kind to your future self. So, you know, what I if it was me talking about it is I've got to think about what is going to make life easier or harder for future David, mm -hmm. and kind of embracing that because part of not having these conversations is you don't want to have it because it's uncomfortable but then what happens when you're dealing with uh late cancellations or no shows or a balance being run up then you've just created more work for future david or future james because you didn't uh, want to have that because you didn't want to have that and yeah so it is to a certain extent it's you know the like the proverb eating the frog if you've got to eat a frog, go on and get it done. Uh, have you heard that one, James? I, I I think I've just heard about the boiling pot. You know, the frog. No, that, that's a that's pot. a different frog metaphor. That's that's where I will slowly do that. But the expression is, if you've got to eat a frog, if you know every day you're going to have to eat a frog, it makes sense to do it first thing. And I so, in, in in business and structure sorts of things, you talk about go on and get the frog eaten, like go on and eat the frog. 
uh, because there's this idea of like, this is not an appealing thing to do, but if you got to do it, go on and get it done. Um, and putting it off, not having good structures or boundaries just usually means you're putting off problems. Sometimes there's wishful thinking. Sometimes there's the thought of, if I ignore this, it will go away or it will resolve itself. And every once in a while, maybe it does, but more often than not, no. Great. Well, here, there's some things that uh, we got to talk about, uh, some policies that make it easier and help you set up some boundaries, financial boundaries with the clients. The first one I was going to talk about is, you know, how do you get uh, people to pay their co-pays and the, um, the, the fees ahead of time, even the no-show fees. And mm -hmm. I learned this um, just by doing the virtual assistant company is collect the credit card at registration. You know, mm -hmm. have the policy of collecting the credit card for the client on registration, where that now if uh, for their for their um, co-pays, it's on record because one of the things the virtual assistants would have to do in uh, a, an office that didn't do this is uh, inevitably co-pays would get missed or they didn't have it or, you know, bill my card and then they would bill the card after the appointment after the client is gone and mm -hmm. and uh the card would get declined and so then you'd have to track them down or spend a lot of time a lot of time tracking that down and then re-entering it and and people could have you know thousands of dollars in co co-payments uncollected if they didn't get the credit card ahead of time so I always love that tip, get the credit card at registration. That also prevents, uh, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that can prevent some people from no-showing the first appointment if they know that they're... Yeah, there, there's a certain amount of that. I, I think with a lot of modern electronic healthcare record systems like um, therapy notes and, and other ones, oftentimes the credit card information is saved within it. That's a lot better. The The issue of, of you got to think about how you're storing people's credit card information because you want to, because what happens in, in the system I use that people save their credit card when they sign up, they do all their paperwork through their online client portal. Mm -hmm. the, they save your credit card, um, but Ida can't access their full credit card information. It'll show me their last four digits and expiration. So I can't lift any info because you got to be careful about that as it relates to. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so you're writing down their credit card number in their file. You, you need to have a more secure system than that. So there's that. So if you're using a, an EHR, um, that's a much easier thing to collect and save. And for me, like people can't even request an appointment unless they file a credit card. And so we've, uh, we've kind of automated that process. Now, uh, going to the, you know, does it, how fees um, stack up? Like, yeah, that's a big thing. Like if, if it's co-pays, that's one aspect of it. If you're doing a fee for service practice where it's, they're paying for the entire session, that's even more. Yeah. Um, and make sure that whatever system you have, though, works. It's because I'll give it an example. So my, primary care physician, I've been trying to pay them for a few days and they're make, making it too hard. So I've gone into doctor's appointments and most of my doctor's appointments with, like I, I see a lot of doctors in the same medical system. So it's all one billing thing. My primary care and some specialists I 
I see you all in the same. And I've, I've got a balance at this point that I'm trying to pay and they're making it difficult unintentionally. So I've got, I've gone into the office once and said like, Hey, I think I have an outstanding balance. Like, Oh, Oh, you just, just follow the link and pay online. And they do text me. They'd be like, Hey, your bill is ready. Follow this link. Well, here's the thing. I go in to pay it and then I get this error message and I've tried it multiple times and on multiple devices. I keep on getting an error message. So at some point today, I'm going to go back to my primary care office and I'm like, Hey, I have a bill to pay. And they might say like, Oh, Oh, you should pay online. Well, I can't pay online. Can I just pay you? And my fear is, is I'm going to go to collections at some point, but this is not, I'm, I'm, I'm a good patient. I'm trying to pay my bill, but yeah. I, I it, all that to say is if you say, if you have a system to save people's credit card information, make sure they have a way to update it. It's pretty easy if they mm. need to, because, you know, I, I have long-term people that I've worked with that they've just get new credit cards issued where it's a new expiration yes. date and, and make, make it easy. And, you know, if you can't get mad at your, your clients, if part of the reason that payment's not happening well is because you don't have a smooth system. If you don't have, if you have people that are doing the check-in process, are they well-trained, whether it's a virtual assistant or in-person receptionist or whatever, are they trained to collect the payments or do the, because I'll go to my doctor's office. I'm like, Hey, do I have a copay? They're like, um, and, you know, they're, they're not, uh, very focused on, on that. So, um, so that's about collecting credit cards. Uh, I, at least, I think at least having it on file saves a lot of problems and you can, can use it as sort of a, you know, a jumping off spot for some other policies that keep you, keep you from traveling to track down, mm -hmm. uh, the money. It is uncomfortable, you know, it's, you know. You might not, they, they might resist. Why, why do you need a credit card on file? But it, you know, it's, if you have it as a policy, we, it helps you, uh, collect those fees, uh, in the future. So, so future David doesn't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make life as easy as possible for future David. All right. So another, another thing is, uh, charging for filling out paperwork. And I've worked with some therapists who don't charge for paperwork and then some who who are like i gotta start charging for paperwork so i i um what's the advantage of having a policy on some sort of fee for filling out paperwork david simply for that it accounts for your time um i, I think the biggest thing is you have to have a policy it has to be a policy it has to be written um you're you're it's hard to, to say you're going to charge for something when it's not something because it's, it's part of in some ways an informed consent process and something that's big now in new in the therapy space of good faith estimates. Yeah. What, what are things going to cost? So it needs to be part of, you have a policy, so you have something to follow, but it takes time. Um, we have a, a $30 fee. I think is what it is currently. And it's for, it's based on units of time, but like it's a minimum of $30, but if it takes longer to fill out, then it's, um, and that's related to things of just anything that's outside of normal therapy. We have policies in place. If, uh, fortunately we're not in settings where we have to do this a lot, but, um, if there's like something court related, you know, yeah. we have to be like, how's that time paid for? How's that? And you need a policy in place of how that's going to be accounted for. Um, 
because otherwise you could find yourself, you know, you respond to a subpoena and you're waiting around to be deposed in a child custody case or something like that. And how, how are you paid for that time? That's time that you can't see clients or taking out of uh, your normal day. And how is that going to be in place? But it just, do you, there needs to be a way to account for your time that what you do. Because one of the things I think you said in a, in a previously recorded, James, is that you, it, it comes from somewhere. You're yeah. stealing from somewhere. And there's no free time. Right. Uh, in, in that sense, it's coming from, it's either coming from yourself or it's coming from your family or it's coming from friendships or it's coming from other relationships or places where you invest you know, your time either volunteering or being a part of or other clients, but it comes from somewhere, from your sleep, from your... Yeah. And um, sometimes we, we, we steal from different funds to kind of balance the sheets, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, as the expression goes, but you, it can get really unbalanced if you do it too much. And, and if you assume that like, well, this is, a, this is just a way to account for that. And it doesn't have to be an exorbitant fee. You don't have to think about it as like, I'm going to charge huge amounts of mm -hmm. money, but it also, um, when you have that fee, it encourages clients to think through their boundaries of what they ask you to do or not. Because there may be, I've gotten paperwork before where like it could have been mostly filled out by the client. Right. And, and oftentimes I have to go digging for information. I have to get into their file to figure out what's their date of birth, what's their, mm -hmm. where other clients will, you know, give me a mostly completed form uh, that I just have to uh, follow up with. So I had a, I had a friend, um, this was mostly boundaries with insurance companies, but I had a friend, Ralph, who ran a department and he, he was always saying the insurance company was giving us unfunded mandates where we had mm -hmm. to keep filling out more and more paperwork, but they wouldn't pay, pay you more for that. And I think mm -hmm. if, you know, the, the clients, um, expect, uh, if they expect you to fill out the paperwork without a fee and there's nothing written down, it can be sort of like, well, why are you charging? You know, there can be that push pull. Why are you charging me for this? There's mm -hmm. no, you know, I, I only pay for therapy. So mm -hmm. your time is valuable. I guess that's a main point to think about that. Like your time is valuable and you should be compensated for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, another big policy that people talk about is a no-show policy. Do you want to talk about how you came up with your no-show policy and how you enforce it? Um, yeah, uh, we have, so they kind of run together. So we have a late cancellation slash no-show policy. Okay. Um, we, I worked at a, the counseling center I worked at before it was, if you had a late cancellation, no-show and late was anything under 24 hours from the appointment. And you think of the 24 hour and that's a common one of, of what qualifies as a late cancellation or not. And you think about, so, you know, James, you're a therapist and you have your day planned out and you, let's say you've got, you know, six sessions booked that day, seven sessions booked that day, we'll, we'll say six. And somebody calls that morning and you have somebody you're supposed to see, see at three, but they call at 10 that morning. Mm -hmm. And so they've called, this is not a no-show. They've called and said like, hey, I'm so sorry, I can't make my appointment today. Well, the difference is if, if they, if this is Tuesday and they call versus they called on Monday, 
on Monday, if they called at 10, you you may have had time to then think about like, oh, how do I, how am I going to account for this time differently? Right. What am I, I may have, I, I may have somebody, another client that I can fit in this time or, hey, I can plan to run to the bank and get some errands done. But if it's in too tight of a time, you have less ability to have agency to use the mm -hmm. time differently. You can't account. Someone calls me, let's say it's really tight. Someone calls me, you know, five minutes before their appointment. That's still a cancellation. But I've, I, don't, I don't have a lot of flexibility what to do with that hour now. Now, if right. it's my last session of the day, then it's a lot I'd go home early or something like that. But the worst, the absolute worst, you start your day. It's your first appointment of the day. You show up to work and you get in and you find you have a message. So they may be called the night before, but after you went home mm. and they're canceling like you, I could have slept in a little bit or I could have, yeah. you know, I could have not uh, given myself indigestion by inhaling my Chick-fil-A chicken minis on the way in or whatever it was that I, I, my morning looked like. And so it goes back to the whole thing. Your time is accounted for. It's not just that your time is valuable. That, that's something to, to get on a slight soapbox. I, get, I do get miffed because therapists will get um, a little high horsey uh, about like, my time is valuable. Yes, your time is valuable. Everyone's time is valuable to a certain degree. And, uh, uh, and so it's not that your time is not valuable, but so is everybody's. And I think, there, I think there's, there's kind of an elitism that can slip into some therapist speech, but I don't know. That would be, that would be a different episode of like therapist elitism, but the, uh, but your time needs to be accounted for because it is your work time. The same that everybody's work time should be accounted for. And that's the issue with late cancellation. So anyway, going back to the policy, the policy was before 100%. I didn't like that when I started my own practice, I didn't want to do that because I didn't feel even though I couldn't use my time, it, I didn't feel I earned it quite that much. So, so, so there, there, the policy, the previous policy was, uh, late, sh late cancel or cancel. What either one was on, they paid a hundred percent for the not like not normal cancel. If you canceled normal. in less than twenty four hours, then there was no fee. And I do the same now because life happens. People, if people are responsible, okay, more than twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. If it's more than twenty four hours, then there's no penalty. And okay. I, I will say, like, you don't want to do something like someone cancels three days before their appointment. You penalize. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's 24 hours is generally a good okay. rhythm. If you if the only caveat I would say, if you're doing like um, a program, like it's not just an individual session, but like you've got a three day intensive you're doing. And, you know, the it, that makes sense to maybe set like, hey, the boundary is you, you've got up to two weeks before the event or mm -hmm. something like that. But that's a that's a whole different can of worms. So we're just talking about normal therapy. All right. Things. So what's your what's your policy now then? Uh, if, if it's late cancellation or a no show, it's 50 percent of the session fee. So whatever their session fee was, it's it's half. With the understanding now that is the policy as it's written. The therapist, I do give discretion to um, to waive that fee. It's still the policy, but you you we have informal procedures of how and when it's waived. For example, if an unexpected snowstorm happens, and mm. and I will say like where I live in the world, um, it snows infrequently enough that no one knows how to handle it. 
<laughs> like, like we don't have like a lot of committed snowplows because it, you know, a, a wintry winter for me is there's, you know, 14 days of snow on the ground mm. and not in a row, like just kind of throughout. And that's a pretty snowy winter for, for me. And so we don't have the infrastructure to handle that. People don't know how to, so if, if it's just not going to happen and people get sick, like I'll oftentimes where someone, you know, particularly in this, in the pandemic years, I'll get a call from somebody an hour before their appointment and be like, Hey, I just tested positive for COVID. I'm not going to charge that person. Right. Now our policy still says you, you have this, but I'm not going to charge this person. And there's this idea of being able to extend grace to people. Mm -hmm. It's better though, to have a harder policy in place and then extend grace than to have too mm -hmm. loose of a policy. Um, one of the things I treat it for people is everybody gets a freebie that the first time it happens, you know, to have flexibility to have, uh, um, I also have a, a policy that if it's under 24 hours, but they can rebook the same week, we do not charge them. And the reason okay. for that is, is because most therapists, like their schedules are on a weekly basis. We see clients generally weekly, or even if we don't see them weekly, the week is still the unit. And so if you late cancel on Monday, but I had a spot open on Thursday that you can take, my income for the week is not negatively affected. Mm -hmm. So there are all these different caveats, but you, you want to find ways that kind of set that boundary. But that's if they call. Now, if it's no show, I'm less likely to give grace for that. Usually the policy is if they no show, call. Now, you know, my way of calling is... Hey, James, this is David Hall with Haven. It's about uh, 3.20. I had you down for a three o'clock appointment. Want to just check in to see if we need to reschedule or anything like that. Uh, I, I like putting it like that because I have no accusation. I'm just right. sharing information. Why did you miss? Why, why did you miss? I'm why like, are you disrespecting me? Yeah, it, it's, it's I, I don't want to be passive aggressive about it. I don't want to be overly confrontational. Uh, That's the script I use where it's I know, like, hey, like I had you down for a three o'clock. It's three twenty. Just want to check in, see what the deal. Like, um, let me know. Please call me back uh, if you need a reschedule or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. If I don't hear from you, I will charge. If you call me and be like, "I am so sorry. I've been in the ER. I've had you know mm. kidney stones. It's been oh, I'm so sorry." You know, I'll usually give that a pass. But there's a point where you know if if when somebody's had their you know eighth grandmother pass away, it yeah, like, I, so that's where I guess keeping records helps you if you record what the reason why. Yeah, I, I encourage a chart note. If most EHRs yeah. will let you do that because it will show as like a cancel or like, like an answer. admin note or something. Yeah, right. To yeah. say like you know talk to client they had this and you know you can notice patterns, but better to have a, a pretty firm policy in place and to something you said earlier james it allows the policy to be the bad guy or the center to be a bad guy yeah and i'm i'm the i'm the clinic director but i'll i'll reference the policies where people are like why was i charged for this i'm like well i'm sorry it's the center policy for this and i'll kind of act like uh you know i'm just this victim of it too mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes well, i have had the policies are for everyone yeah. you know and, and they'll the boss too. They'll ask me and be like, "Well, didn't you? Aren't you the boss?" I'm like, "I am, but I still got to follow the policy. I'm yep. not above the law." Not, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I follow the same rules as the therapist. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, anything else on no show? I feel like that could be a whole thing. It's huh? a, you you figure out you know, you've got to think through some of it's your clientele, some of it's your of uh, uh, I do think we have to have realistic expectations on what it looks like and what our policies are. Um, for example, most of my clients don't use public transportation to get to me. Mm -hmm. If they did, I would realize that there, there are factors that are more outside of their control. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a, you guys also have to think about it of what's a lot. Like I can set the policy the way I do it because I have a cash-based practice. Right. How does it, you can't bill insurance for a no-show. Insurance will not pay for that. And, uh, and you can't bill, uh, if you're doing Medicaid or something, you can't bill for that. And for most Medicaid systems, I think this works universally. The client isn't responsible for a copay. Uh, at least that's how it works in Tennessee. So there's no recourse for that. And so when I've worked with places that do very heavy Medicaid work, it's typical that double, triple booking is the, is the norm because they're accounting for a certain amount of no-shows. Mm. And the problem is what happens when everyone shows up. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that. I, had a, I worked for a, a hospital system that did not uh, charge for no-shows. There was very little mm -hmm. anyone could do, um, money-wise anyways, for, for people who missed their treatment sessions. And I had a friend who moved to a, a cash pay office and he said the, the, their no-show policy, instead of having a third of his patients not show up, he had like one a year or something like it was. If you, if you have a good no-show policy, it will help. I, I, I do also want to be cautious as people are thinking about it, that you have to think of generally what sort of resources your clients have emotionally, yeah. financially, things like that. And people that are more resourced in their life you know, we'll, we'll have more stability to show up. And, and, and there's a, I, I think of one person I saw years ago, this was at the old counseling center I worked at. They would late cancel notoriously and had to pay the full session fee, but they were wealthy. They even said that I, I wasn't the one calling. It was, I had a receptionist that would call. Uh, and cause this person would call like an hour before their appointment. They'd be like, Oh yeah, I got, I got distracted. My massage ran long. And <laughs> And the receptionist would say, like, well, you do know that there's, a, and they said, well, I've got plenty of money. And that was when I wished I could ramp up my fees to make it, to create more of a pain point for this person. Yeah. But yeah. for most of my clients, most of my clients, I'm expensive enough that there's a, there's a pain point. And, and so you want to give yourself the ability to extend grace. You want to be mindful of circumstances, but have the policy. You can't just make it up on the fly. And you've got to think about it's how really you're really nuanced. It. Like, uh, it you know, oh, let's just have a no-show policy. But as you're talking uh, through it, there's a lot of things to think through to have a really good no-show You've got to start with the policy. Yeah. And you've got to thought, and you've got to think about, you know, I have a system. There is nuance, James, but I do have a system of when and how we enforce it. And because you don't want it to be like, I like this client, therefore I'm going to not enforce it or i don't like this client right hard. yeah you you do need to have i guess the difference is is that we have internal systems that we say amongst the staff it'd be like hey if if they're ill we're not going to charge for that 
because we don't want them to come in if they're ill. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but we don't want to have that as a written policy because then it becomes the excuse of like, well, I'm sick. And then it becomes like, do we need a doctor's note? Like I, part of my policies for future David is I don't like any extra paperwork. Mm, this is a side note. But like, yeah. We don't do a true sliding scale in our practice. Because if we did legally, we would need people to bring in proof of need of, of either pay mm. stubs or bills or things like that so we don't do a site because i don't want to deal with that one i think i think there could be a shame aspect for clients that could make them avoid it so we do something different where we run a scholarship system which functions similar to a sliding scale but because we have it set up as a different mechanism we don't have to do the paperwork of like prove that this is mm -hmm. that you need this. prove that you're in need yeah, yeah. And if we had a policy in place that said we didn't charge for no shows uh, if you were if you're ill, everybody and, would say they're ill. Yeah, the and yeah. and do I want to follow that up? So great. Um, okay, uh, so maybe one of the one one other policy that we could talk about, and it's kind of related to these fees is outstanding balances what are mm. some best practices for having a policy on collecting outstanding balances this is really tricky because as we talked in the beginning you want to be the therapist you want to have a therapeutic relationship you don't necessarily want it to be all you know you just want my money type of conversation but you know you pay for your you pay for your staff you pay for your lights you pay for your building you're paying for your education so how do you how do you have this policy or this conversation on collecting outstanding balances? You have a policy in place, and uh, <laughs> it, well, it's the or another way to to borrow a term that's common from the VA world of standard operating procedure. Yeah, and and, and uh, SP, SOP, like S what's the SOP, standard? Yeah, yeah, what's the standard operating procedure for this? So. It depends on who's responsible. Like if you have administration staff for people that, you know, what's the, and they're the ones that are handling balances and billing, then there's that. And how do they handle that with clients? And how do they communicate that to therapists in the ways that are necessary based on what's going on? Because there needs to be, if you have different people that are providing the services versus billing. Okay. Yeah. You need to make sure that there's kind of understanding in that. Um, or if it's the same person, then again, what's the standard operating procedure for us? Um, therapists are generally managing their own schedule in my practice. And the rule we have is if once a client is more than has two sessions that are not, have not been paid for, they cannot book again. And that can be dicey because we have, I've, my practice is in a university town. We have a lot of college students, we say. Mm -hmm. And for them, it is oftentimes, it's a parent's credit card on file. Mm -hmm. But these are legal adults. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a dynamic about communication. So we can't necessarily call the parents yeah. unless we have release to say, hey, we need you to update the credit card this is. And so it becomes a conversation with the client, but it's not the client's direct funds. And so that becomes a thing. And so oftentimes that's where it can be um, uh, that pressure can be felt, but that's where it, it's having a policy in place. And because a therapist of mine will have to say like, Hey, 
James, I'm sorry I can't see you um, because we've we've got you know outstanding balances for two sessions, and the policy of the the clinic is that we can't have we can't book any more sessions if that's the case. Um, and it's who's staying on top of to know if is there an outstanding balance. And again, in my practice, that's a therapist's responsibility. But therapists are paid based on money received, not money billed. And so that incentivizes therapists to know, have I, has have this I, been... Have I collected? Yeah, because they could be yeah, doing... Yeah, because it, it affects their pay. No money. Yeah, it, it affects their pay. And I, I'll say we, we have a mutual friend who found out after he had let somebody go that he had somebody who had been getting paid for sessions, but who had oh, not no. been billing. And it was like had not been billing this this therapist was responsible to like put in the bill but had not been billing for months and it was by the time it was discovered is way beyond reasonable collection and this therapist was getting paid as if they yeah. had been billing and oh um, man that's like yeah. gut punch yeah you know heart falling down uh, yeah and so, so, so what you what's have... your system yeah how do you how do you manage that? I guess do you have a a report. I guess you you we run? have a report. Part of it is is that we do pay once a month. Okay, and uh, and for payroll to be run, it's closing out the books for the month, which is something we do in our EHR. And when we're doing that, it can be seen of are there any outstanding balances, and then that becomes a communicator. You know that gets communicated from you know our clinic management to whatever therapist but like hey your client still owes for such and such and you know what sort of follow-up conversation needs to have sometimes it's from the therapist not always sometimes it's it's um some of the the management level we don't have a lot sure. but we will do a little depending on what it is to to say particularly if the client is not an active client um we'll take on that conversation differently but but you need to have a point where you can check in. And so for us, it's almost like we're we're doing a monthly audit of the books to see that. And if you didn't have a system like that, how long could it go before someone would notice? That's scary because you don't always have systems until you realize you need the system, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so the that the especially when it comes to money and billing and being able to pay people and pay your bills uh having that system in place that uses the report that you have the communication in place the therapists know their roles i'm sure the clients whether they read it or not have a policy paper on what you do with the with the outstanding balances so it's just a lot of communication just for this one um, air quotes little thing Mm -hmm. to to manage mm -hmm. um have you uh so what do you what do you think about your policy that you like and what is something that may you think maybe could improve or you know mm -hmm. it, you want it to be different but it's not because of your policy so what's the best and worst things about your policy oh uh, my policy is very mary poppins Practically perfect in every way. It is, <laughs> <laughs> it is not. I, mean, I, I don't have any. Why is my policies? I don't have. Because I, I could tell things about other people's policies, but it's the. But there are structural things like I, I wish that it wasn't difficult. I wish that. Um, 
you know, I wish lot, I, I, I wish that, um, you know, counseling was easy to people for people to pay for. And it's the, and, and easy to provide, like I, I, there's this tension of, because I, I do find myself having to explain to clients, like, you know, why don't you take my insurance? Mm. And we have an FAQ on our website and I direct people to, and part of it is the, you know, there are lots of reasons. One is it would require more overhead to take insurance. Cause I would need to have dedicated somebody to bill insurance, whether Either that would be somebody that would be an employee, someone that was hired, or I would be a contracted service that, but it right. would cost in some way um, to do that. And reimbursement is less uh, than what the market rate is for what we charge. If, if insurance paid well uh, for this, if insurance paid just what they pay other people for the same service, I, I discovered this later that for certain billing codes, if a, if a physician is doing some of the billing codes that are common for therapists, they'll get paid significantly more, even though for what that particular service, they are less qualified for, they're less qualified mm -hmm. to do psychotherapy. But if they bill for some of those units, they get reimbursed at a higher rate. Oh, wow. Doesn't and, seem fair. And so it's the, well, but I think insurance companies are, are gauging like, well, this doctor's probably not going to bill a whole lot for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we need to have the credential because it's this hospital system and we have to, so it, it's a, you know, and you're a solo practice or a smaller group practice psychotherapist, your ability to negotiate with insurance companies is necessarily great. And so, yeah. Oh, well, so what are some mistakes, but what wrapping up this discussion then, um, because your policy is perfect. It's Mary uh, what, Poppins. It's practically practically perfect. perfect. Uh, <laughs> what what are some mistakes people might make with the uh, the collecting or the uh, outstanding balance policy? Be too nice and be too mean. Be I see too nice do... or be too mean. Yeah, can yeah. you unpack well, that and, a and they're, bit? That sounds they're related to. Oftentimes, yeah. people will be too nice in that it's this idea of they don't they're they're not being good boundary. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not having good boundaries as they're approaching it. They're not holding people accountable and. It's a lot of, oh, I don't, you know, when, whenever you get a chance, whenever you know, like this, is, yeah. it's okay. It's okay. And then what typically happens for that? Here's the cost of that. Cause it's good. It, someone has to pay for that. And here's how you pay for that. You're spending being nice in a very shallow, superficial, unhelpful way. And the bill comes due and then you've lost your patience yeah. and you feel taken advantage of. It. And then oftentimes yeah. that leads to that, the flywheel catching. And then there's the other side and then you're overly angry and then you're, and both being too nice and being too mean is different manifestations of being unjust to the client. You're not being by being too coddling. That's not being very just right. And being too confrontational, depending on the circumstances is not necessarily very just. So how do you do this in ways that is balanced and just is what I, I think about. And having a good policy and boundaries in place where you're not being mean, you're being boundary. Now, some clients don't know how to distinguish that. Yeah. I, I do. I, I have a very low value on niceness. I want to be kind, but kind and nice are not synonymous. Mm-hmm. 
Nice is a very superficial, shallow thing. It's not bad by itself, but it's not particularly deep. Because you can be kind to somebody that can look very confrontational at times, very firm, can look very not nice to be truly kind to somebody. And there are ways that are being that you're being nice, that you're being very unkind in your niceness. Right. It's not helping them. Yeah. It's yeah. I think I, I think the phrase that comes to mind is like tough but fair. Like yeah. you are you're you have you have some firmness, but that you're also fair about how you apply it. So like I said, I want to, I want to very much be kind to my clients, but part yeah. of kindness is manifesting good boundaries at the beginning. Yeah. And Great. I want my boundaries to be in And so thinking about like, what is, here's a, here's an example of a good boundary. I say this to clients and the same thing goes to policies. What is the policy that you can enforce regardless of your mood? That where it's still a good policy, like this policy has to be a good policy, whether or not you're feeling sympathetic. Mm -hmm. feeling forgiving whether you're feeling angry whether you're feeling put upon whatever your feeling is is this a good policy and it needs to be a good policy regardless of your mood and that is a sign of a good policy good all right so that that's a good place to stop on uh boundaries with clients uh around financial matters uh great discussion uh, let's do to let's go to our one thing you want people to take away from this episode. Uh, my I'll go first. I think just uh, value your time. Like your time is valuable, and uh, you you um, doing things for people is fine and nice, but also there are, there's a time where you have to say, you know, I I need to get paid for certain things like the paperwork or your no, your no show or the cancellation type stuff like don't value yourself so low that you're not gonna get paid for some of that work so value mm -hmm. your time is my is my mm -hmm. one thing to take away how about you david have it written down have a policy have a policy like you, yeah. like you you've gotta you you can adjust a policy until you get to the mary poppins level as i said but like you can uh it's not writing it in stone, but you have to have it down and you have to have it down. It has to be understood by your clients and your clinicians. If you're a group practice owner, because to, to make it up on the fly is not, it's not good policy. You need no. to set it. You can adjust it, but you need to have something set. Great. All right. Great advice. Great discussion. Uh, I think that's the end of this week's show. So uh, for James Marland and Dr. David Hall, thank you for listening to the show. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.